Welcome to Return to Soil, a podcast about people who grow and make the food we eat. Have you ever wondered where meat comes from? I mean, when we go to the market, we see meat nicely wrapped in plastic wrap in nice packages. Where did the meat come from? Who grew it? When we shop at a supermarket, we most likely have no idea about the farm or the rancher who helped raise the animal, which eventually gets slaughtered for us to eat. In this podcast, I'm interviewing Jeff Miller, one of the owners of Diamond Mountain Ranch Farms, which raises grass-fed meat. I have been buying his meat from the Long Beach Farmer's Market for many years now. Today's interview is over the phone as he is currently in Northern California. How did you first get started in the farming business? Well, you know, it was kind of a weird thing. I grew up in Huntington Beach, didn't know any other way of life. Uh, I, my great-grandma is from actually North Dakota, and they were farmers. Uh, they, they migrated over from Sweden. When I was like three or four years old, I went over there to North Dakota, visited them, watched them grow corn and uh, wheat and whatnot. Never thought I'd ever become a farmer or ever have anything to do with farming. Actually, I'm a rancher, I guess, is what we raise bison, beef, lamb, pork, and chicken, and rabbits, and I even got a herd of yak. The thing is, is that when I was in Huntington Beach, I, I grew up school of hard knocks. I didn't have a real family to grow up with, and then what I ended up doing is I thought there would be greener grass out there. I was looking for something else uh, besides ocean and uh, concrete. So I started, uh, I did a lot of traveling, fishing, hunting, um, just trying to find a better place to raise my family. Right. And what I did is I uh, went to like Colorado, New Mexico, Idaho, Montana. Uh, I even went to British Columbia and um, worked my way down south. And I found a place here in Greenville, California. Absolutely beautiful. Um, it was When I got into this place, it was about 25 years ago. And... It was like going back in time a hundred years. The reason why I kept going north or away from Southern California is that, I mean, you got Big Bear and all this stuff that's up there, but you have all the people, you have all the trash. I was always looking for the clean, untouched, more wilderness type of area. And so when I got up here in uh, Greenville, I bought a small 12-acre ranch that I started with uh, just a fire ring, a campfire ring, and brought my family up here and raised my kids by, uh, instead of going on vacation, they were helping me develop 12 acres. Um, <laughs> started off with a fire ring, cleaning it up, and then we built a, what we called a barn and attack room, but it was a basically a small warehouse and apartment to where we could come stay and camp out at and um, have all our toys uh, when we were growing, when they were growing up. We bought that 12-acre property, right. and as time went on, there's a... Uh, basically 500 acre ranch came for sale and we were looking at it going wow what do you think so we were originally going to do uh cabins and fractional ownerships on this ranch that was the thought that we were going to do it was we we're going to basically split it up and either sell it off and save the best parts for us but when we got here we loved it so much we didn't want to share it with anybody <laughs> so the bottom the bottom line is we just started doing improvements to it this ranch, when we bought it, was neglected for 30 years. It had weeds, no cross-sensing, no irrigation. Timber, forest was all overgrown. There was trash from 100 years of old ranchers that were here. And we took off 17 uh, semi-truck loads just of trash and debris 
uh, when we first bought the place. Wow. And then we had like weeds that were six foot high. We ended up cutting all those down. We burned the fields. We put in sub irrigation throughout the whole place and cross fenced it. And then we also did uh, 160 acres of timber stand improvement where we went through and thinned the trees, cut all the scrub stuff out from underneath it and enhanced wildlife. We've got over a hundred acres of wildlife enhanced property on the ranch here, the river bottom and a pond and estuary where birds come every year and migrate. We have sandhill cranes that nest here every year, Canadian uh, uh, geese that nest here every year and a number of other uh, migratory type of birds. So we, we focus on enhancing the wildlife also. So it sounds like your ranch has a natural habitat where it's not just like, it doesn't sound like, like closed off, like, you know, some people think it's of a factory farm, but it sounds like the wilderness kind of expands throughout your ranch. Yeah, we, we butt up to the national forest. Our back end is all national forest, so there's nobody behind us. We are also at the top of the watershed for the whole state. The Feather River feeds through Lake Orville, and it goes all the way down to Lake Silverwood. That's with the California Aqueduct. So we're, we we have a tough time right now with the water, um, with the government, California wanting to take all our water that you know we have adjudicated rights to for the surface water, and now they're trying to get into our groundwater. So it's it's a tough thing. I don't really want to get in the negatives in regards to it. I try to keep it a happy note. Right. So. Um, you know, just focus, I guess, on what you got with the um, ranching end of it. But wildlife enhancement, holistic management, sustainable uh, raising of animals, um, no shots, no hormones, no antibiotics, that kind of thing is what we're doing. We're going to step outside the interview for a little because Jeff reminded me of something I read in Dan Barber's book, The Third Plate. There's a section of the book that talks about Dehesa a system of agriculture that has existed in central Spain for more than 2,000 years. The Dehesa spans over 13,000 square miles of grasslands and oak trees, where animals can roam and eat off the land with things such as grass and acorns. This land is famous for two things in particular, the famous jamón iberico and foie gras made without force feeding the geese. It is amazing to think that there are areas in the world which animals can freely roam instead of being in a feedlot. It is also interesting that Diamond Mountain Ranch just may be the dehesa in the United States. So what kind of animals do you raise? Right now what we've got is uh, we have low-line cattle. That's a small breed of Angus. We have Charlet cattle. Uh, it's a white breed of, Angus, uh, of uh, cattle, beef. And then we have uh, what do you call Highland, which is one of the oldest breeds of uh, cattle from Scotland. And then we have uh, uh, what else? Red Red Angus, and also a herd of yak, <laughs> um, which is from Tibet. So I have over fifty yak on the ranch right now. What are the yaks doing? They're just laying out. You can, th- this time of year, see, it's tougher on animals this time of year in the heat because. The, they can tolerate the winters and the cooler months much better than they can tolerate the heat. Uh-huh. So I have my I have my yak up on the hillside in the oaks underneath the shade trees, huh. and they're just sitting around laying and eating and doing what yak do. <laughs> but like in Tibet or where they come from originally, they uh, use them for pack animals for you know taking their supplies wherever they use them for uh, wool. Uh, my daughter spins, Rennell, she uh, 
uses them for their hair for wool and makes yarn out of it. Wow. And then also meat products. They're very tasty. They're somewhere between a, a beef and a bison. Not as much flavor as a bison and a little bit more than a beef. And a very lean product also. Oh, yeah. What else do you have besides Jack's? Also, we have a, the main thing we do is bison. So we've got close to 300 head of bison on the ranch. And then we do chickens, and we have uh, bourbon red turkeys on the ranch, the heritage breed that we're growing up right now for the holidays coming up. Mm-hmm. And we also have uh, pork, which we raise. The Berkshire is our primary animal. Then we have large black and uh, what they call red wattle pigs. And those are all heritage type. And we don't do any shots or hormones or antibiotics. They have free access to the pastures, to the barn, acorns, grass, hay, and we supplement them a little bit with organic rice. We also have uh, chickens on the ranch, which are just a collage of chickens from my grandkids raising them from incubators to uh, picking them up from everybody that doesn't want to have chickens anymore. They're too loud. So we just have over 300 chickens on the ranch right now and uh, we get them for eggs and for processing nice. and we, we're in the, so that's another thing what else we got rabbits we have uh, Rex uh, what do you call them uh, California uh, meat rabbits or New Zealand type of meat rabbits and a large uh, giant Flemish we cross with what is the process when the, the cow is like a, a young calf on your ranch uh-huh. How? What is their life from that point all the way down to being processed wow, for us at the market? A, that's, a, that's a long way to go. Um, anyways, they they all live a family life. Um, basically, the bulls are left with the uh, the bulls are left with the cows uh, the, all year long. So we never separate them. They have babies whenever they come into cycle. Or they they breed whenever they come into cycle. Then nine months later, approximately, they have a baby uh, or a calf. When they have the calf, then that calf um, hopefully comes out good, no problems, drops, and starts suckling. Well, then that calf stays with its mom until the mom naturally weans it off. So hmm. basically, you're talking uh, three-quarters of a year to almost a year, and then uh, they breed again, and we've... We actually probably get a calf out of every cow about every, I would say, other year as opposed to every year. So we might not be as efficient as, you know, the factory type of farmer guys because we're not looking at the calendar and separating the cows and the calves and putting the bull in there and having breeding machines. They're more of a natural atmosphere or herding type of atmosphere with the animals, if that makes sense. Yeah, so when the calf is separated, how how many more years does it grow until it's ready? Well, being as we're all grass-fed and grass-finished, they take longer to grow compared to putting them in the feedlots, um, like the deal with grain and like cotton seed and whatnot. So typically we're at like 30 to 36 months before we process our animal. So from birth to finish is closer to 36 months as opposed to 30 months. And then as far as what you're getting out of feedlot stuff, they're trying to get them fed and fat and on the table before they're 24 months old. So we've got to grow them a whole year longer 
than the traditional or factory farm type stuff. And plus, they're also injecting them with, you know, hormones and uh, growth stimulants and antibiotics so they don't get sick and die in those feedlots. But, you know, that's, you'd have to figure that one out. On uh, That's a whole other subject. So the cows are literally grazing, like, just the grass fields yep, um, yep. in your ranch. Nice. There is some discussion about cows, which are started with grass but finished with corn. What does that mean? Well, my understanding is I think they go grass-fed in the beginning, and then they get finished on corn. So what they call finishing an animal is getting it as fat as it possibly can to where it has the marbling and as most meat on it as it possibly can to take it to market and enjoy it. Um, because if you have a skinny animal, it's not considered finished. And so with the in uh, um, a feedlot atmosphere, what they'll do is they'll raise them on grass, or a lot of the stuff you see at other stores is that they'll call them grass-fed. And, and if you read the fine print, sometimes it says only for 100 days. And what they do is they feed them uh, grass with their mom while they're with their mom. Then they pull them from their mom when they wean them. And then they put them in a feedlot, and they feed them maybe hay and then grain or whatever they can do to get them as fat as they can, as fast as they can. And then what it, that does is that the marbling and the, the weight gain is gaining probably anywhere from three to four pounds a day based on the feeds that they're giving them. Now, when it comes mm-hmm. to grass finishing or raising them on grass, they're only eating about a pound and three quarters to two pounds on a good day. So they don't gain as much as quick. They got to grow longer and they, um, or living a much more natural life as of being as going say, to, I don't want to say names, but like McDonald's and just getting fed Big Macs all the time and just over bloating. So bottom line is, is that they're eating natural, got a natural family atmosphere. And then they're, um, basically they, there's a pecking order with all the animals. There's the matriarchs and then there's the substandards. So they all just work it all out and, we try to do the best to uh, manage it as we can, but realistically, they're all in big pastures and doing their own thing. So it's it's not too much on my part. All I really got to do is maintain the fences, open the gates when one pasture gets low, and have some more feed or another pasture for them to start eating on. Um, speaking of which, what is the difference between the the cow and the bison? I guess generally speaking, the beef cattle or bison. Yeah, beef cattle. Okay. Yeah, beef cattle and bison. Well, bison is America's original red meat. Um, You know that they they were here in the beginning. So bison kind of ruled the North American uh, real estate. And then I guess when the European uh, peoples came over, they brought cattle with them. So all the cattle that you got here are imported, um, to my understanding. Um, As far as far as uh, the beef cattle. Uh, being as I have both on my ranch and I have the um, bison, um, the bison are more of a wild, uh, more um, uncontrollable. Um, we leave them more uncontrollable um, out in the pastures. Uh, my beef are much easier to manage. Um, I can walk up to them. I can put a halter on them. I can leave the bed with the halter, walk her wherever I want to go, and the whole herd will follow me. So, you know, that's a 
easier way to go. When I first got into this uh, ranching idea, the bison were here on the ranch. We bought the ranch from a guy that uh, just wanted to close the doors. It was There was 58 bison on here. He sold off everything that he possibly could. And uh, we just thought they were cool and majestic, so we thought we'd make a go of it. And so the bison um, are a lot more work. They're destructive on fences, and uh, we could lead a bison anywhere it wants to go, but that's how we have to deal with it. We just open gates and feed them there. Beef, not a problem at all. Basically, just, you know, you, you just talk to them, you walk them, you guide them, and they go just about anywhere you want. They don't have horns. They don't, you know, I mean, the ones we have, uh, well, I got the Scottish Highlanders, but uh, my yak have horns, but they're still a lot more timid. I don't have the problems that I have to deal with my uh, bison. For instance, some of my bulls on my bison are about 24 to 2,700 pounds and are seven foot oh at the gosh. shoulder. So um, <laughs> I, I, I try to cure, I treat them real well. It's just like my big pigs, uh, my boar. Uh, I, I talk to him on a daily basis and I scratch him behind the ear. So that way he, he likes me and I don't have problems. And so I try to keep a personal relationship with the majority of them, but then again, give them their space that they need, but never get, never turn my back on them because I don't trust any of them. I just don't want to have a complication, if that makes sense. Yeah. Do the bison usually just eat grass? Grass. Yeah. Grass and hay, what we put up in the barn Yep, from cutting. Mm. So that's all the bison eat. So do any of your animals have seasons like they are basically processed in particular seasons or is it more like when they're ready year round? Uh, the beef, what we do is that we process six every two weeks uh, this time of year. We start in May, usually the end of May, about May 21st. And then we stop in November. As long as they're on the gain, what that means is that they're eating and they're gaining weight. The meat stays tender and has the marbling. Um, come November, it doesn't matter how much hay I feed the beef, their marbling goes away and their meat gets a little chewy. So we'll end up mm. processing an extra, say, 20 animals in November to carry us over through the winter months for still having meat available at the market. On the bison, we can feed them hay through the winter and they'll still maintain their same integrity. So we could process bison all year long. Um, so that's not a problem there. As far as chickens go, they quit laying eggs when the lights go off or when the days get real short. And up here at the ranch, we go down to about eight and a half hour days. And um, come December, it gets light at eight thirty, nine o'clock in the morning, and it gets dark at 4.30. So they're right. r- real, real short days. And then I got a lot of people that want eggs from us because they're really good eggs. But I have to turn on lights to make it and i'm not being as natural as i'd like to be doing that so eggs aren't a big thing for me um what else uh turkeys we're doing turkeys and we grow those when the weather starts to get warm and then um process those around october so they're ready to go for thanksgiving type of thing oh for winter it sounds like there's a natural lull for just things are slowing down okay that's why they hibernate, <laughs> you know, like the bears here go to bed and that kind of thing. So, and then, you know, the last two winters we had up here haven't been virtually anything. You know, there was no snow this last year. 
So we're devastated with this drought right now. Uh, last month, we had a flock of lo- or a, what do you call it? A locust. Um, what's a, a swarm of locusts come through? Oh my gosh! And oh yeah, it was dev- it was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it. It was just uh, uh, by the thousands flying, um, maybe ten, twenty feet as I was driving a four wheeler through. And I had a bison, and I rotate them through pastures, and I lock them out of them so that way they can the grass can uh, regenerate and grow. Well, we didn't have the water this year. Normally, we have water running into like October, November, and uh, this year it dried up in April. So I have well, oh, geez. yeah, I know it's, it's way back because we didn't have the uh, the snowpack. And so anyways, I got sprinklers in my wells to turn on, but they cost me a substantial amount of money, about $3,000 per well, so $15,000 a month to run them to irrigate this. But since we don't put any fertilizers or any uh, uh, enhancements on the soil, all we do is drag the manure from the animals. We get about, oh, I would say maybe a third to close to 50% of what you would get if you were putting uh, a commercial fertilizer on. So growing the grass and putting the water on and not knowing if you're going to get the yield, it's real expensive. So that's what we're dealing with right now is uh, paying PG&E electric bills and hoping the grass grows. But back to that locust uh, swarm, one of the pastures that was green last week when I was here, is literally mm-hmm. dirt. It's literally dirt right now. We're talking forty acres of dirt. Is there anything you can do about that? Uh, well, I mean, what am I going to do? I mean, here we go. <laughs> we, we've got you know, we've had the drought for the last few years, and then we had a swarm yeah. of locusts come in, and then now what's next? The flood from El Nino. No, <laughs> <Right. laughs> so, oh, uh, it, it's just it is what it is. So joys of Mother Nature, you know. I mean, and that's the whole thing about ranching. That I deal with. Like I get some uh, like marketeers, I want to call them, where they call me up and they want to sell my products online, or they're going to make me the next best uh, thing since sliced bread. But they don't understand that growing animals and growing them naturally, there's no real science to it. It's not. You're, you're, you've got big ones, you've got little ones. If you want to grow them in boxes or in factories and they got individual pins and give them injections, that's what the commercial people do, the government or whatever, you know, does. And we grow them as natural as possible. So we have animals that are all different sizes and we try to keep them as, you know, healthy as we can and as happy as we can. And we just process them accordingly. So dealing with muzzler nature, and not knowing if you're going to get rain, swarms of locusts, snow, uh, what's going to happen with your temperatures. You, you just, I wake up in the morning, I throw everything up in the air, and when it hits the ground, I just go deal with it. That's all I can do. <laughs> Where did you get your philosophy of growing animals naturally? Selling them to other people, um, growing them um, and seeing them how they're growing eating the meat myself, having all the variables in the meat, because if you, you get one guy that's growing animals in, say, Stockton, or one guy that's growing them in Shasta, and they're grown on sagebrush or scrub oak, the key factor, the flavor is going to be different. And so the, the guys that were buying them from me were buying them anywhere they could, 
and basically taking them right to the processor and then just calling it grass-fed or just calling it uh, meat. This is what you get. And so you had people complaining about chewy and tough or bitter and that kind of thing. And I said, well, I'll never do that. What I'm going to do on my ranch here, because if I'm going to get in the meat business, I'm going to go ahead and raise these animals and keep them on my grass and raise the best grass that I can. Because we use a Timothy orchard broom, a little bit of alfalfa with some red and white clover and some wild oats in there um, that they eat. And that's what we finish them on, or they eat till they you know, are ready to go to the market. And I think that's the key factor on flavor and texture. And the majority of the people, if you go to our website, you go to our comment sections, you'll see that most people that eat our meat, once they try it, they like it. And then if it fits their budget, everybody's happy. They become customers or, you know, lifelong, more like mutual friends, but I'm, I'm growing their uh, protein for them. So, I mean, we have stories at the farmer's market. I got people standing in line and we're just talking about what we did this week and what we're doing next week. Because right now we're putting in irrigation and solar panels um, for uh, the stock tanks. We're actually running three-inch pipe over two and a half miles of it from my upper wells down to my bottom wells. So instead of pumping uphill, which I've been doing on PG&E, I'm letting the solar mm-hmm. panels pump from the top and let gravity do its job coming back. So it's just, uh, you know, I try to work with uh, Mother Nature try to be eco-friendly. Um, if I had $50 million and, uh, or just say $5 million and 50 employees, I could make this place really, really special. But the bottom line is, is that I'm just, you know, doing it, uh, cash out of pocket one day at a time and try to grow the best quality meat that we possibly can to bring to the people that like to eat clean meat and like to, you know, have the flavor and texture that we've been providing. Oh, and the yaks are just there still for personal? Like, are you planning to bring the yaks to the farmer's market at all? Yeah, we've done, we've done, we've done, we've done a few. And uh, About a year ago, I had some on here. And then uh, everybody liked it so much, so I decided to go ahead and uh, put a whole herd on. So um, we're getting ready to process. Actually, on Thursday of this week, we're going to be processing uh, some yaks. So this week, we're processing... Uh, we're going to be doing lamb, pork, uh, goats, and yak is what the process is. And actually, tomorrow I'm going to be rabbits. So, yeah, no, we're on a constant processing type of cycle to keep it all. Because um, like our beef, we dry age 21 days. So when we go to process it, we take it in on Thursday. They process well, they knock it down, they cut it into what they call a carcass, and then they hang it in the fridge for 21 days. And it just sits there, and it, the enzymes actually break it down, and it enhances the flavor and tenderness. And then they'll cut it up um, after that 21 days into steaks and roasts and make it in the burger. So that um, really gives it more flavor. Our bison doesn't have the fat content that our beef does, and we only age that for five to seven days. Um, what future projects do you have down the pipeline? It's endless. I'm wide open. Uh, you know, we I would love to build, a, a, say, a, a cabin or, or a, a lodge about 3,000 square feet with a commercial kitchen in it and a big fireplace and we could have an entertainment area and then have like six cabins off the side so people could come up and enjoy it. 
Um, but it's just another battle. I'd have to have housekeeping and chefs and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, right. uh, some sort of agro tourism type of thing. Uh, it's just that you got to pick. There's so many options on this ranch from wildlife photography. Um, I could even mine gold if I wanted to. There's, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, I mean, I, I got it all here. We got, you know, fishing. We got, uh, there's good hunting. Uh, it's just absolutely endless on our, our possibilities. It's just what hat do you want to put on and what do you want to afford or how many people do you want to have running around the place? So that's, that's uh, you know, where that goes. Well, thank you for your time. This has been very educational. Well, good. I'm glad it, uh, I appreciate you calling or, you know, getting me involved with this and anything I can do to help in the future. Just let me know. Um, and I know we're both running busy schedules, but like I said, I just want to come out as clean and um, environmentally friendly and as far as uh, growing as sustainably as best we can, you know, what we're doing in, on the ranch and uh, in the farmer's market. As we know, buying food is a hugely personal choice for all of us. We're especially blessed with the modern conveniences of having any food, especially made at the market near us at any given time. However, this modern convenience has a price, and that price is transparency. When we buy meat at the market, we often have no idea where it comes from. I just recently took a look at a chicken breast package, and all it said was, processed in the USA. There's no mention of a farm, a ranch, or even a city. The question we have to ask ourselves is, do we consider meat a commodity or something more? If your answer is something more, then before you buy that package of meat, do some research on Google. Try to discover where that farm is and their animal raising practices. Go ahead and try to contact the farm and talk to someone if you can. If you can't find anything about the meat package, consider other options at your market. When you think about it, the food we put in our bodies is probably one of the most important decisions we make daily. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Music is by George Shaw Music. If you want to learn more about Jeff's Ranch, you can visit his site at www.diamondmountainranch.com. Also, you can subscribe to the podcast at the iTunes store under Return to Soil. Next time, I will interview a flower miller. Thanks for listening.